Our first reading is taken from the book of James, chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The gospel today is taken from John chapter 4, verses 43 to 54. The Lord be with you, and also with you. The holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. After the two days, he departed from Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that this was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed, and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. The Gospel of Christ. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. As we remain standing, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word through which you speak to us and reveal yourself to us. So I'd pray in light of that truth that I as preacher would just get out of the way. Far, far less of me and far, far more of you. That your people gathered would be edified and your son Jesus glorified, for we ask this in his name. Amen. Would you be seated, please? As Orvin mentioned at the beginning, this year we've been working our way through the Gospel of John. And this section of the Gospel, we've turned over to encountering Jesus, the King of a new creation, beholding the one who invites us to follow him. And we began this portion of the series by looking at an absolutely incredible encounter that Jesus had with the woman of Samaria. A conversation where Jesus jumps over every single barrier his culture would have put up between himself and this woman to show grace, compassion, kindness. And as a result, there's an incredible transformation in her and through her to her entire community. But then comes another interaction. Right on the heels of the first, two days later, Jesus is arriving in Galilee and he's approached by an official from Herod's court who traveled some 25 miles 
a two-day walk, evidently having heard that Jesus was a healer. This man is in desperation. He's all out of options, and his son's life hangs in the balance. And he's pleading, come down, heal my son. And Jesus' response is curt, callous, dismissive. You people, all you want is signs and wonders or you won't believe. Where's the Jesus of two days before? Undeterred, the man presses in. Come down before my child dies. The Greek is in the diminutive. He's pleading, my little boy, my dear son, he's about to die. Please, please come down. And Jesus' second response is actually colder than the first. Go. Meaning, I won't come down with you. Your son will live. If I, as a pastor, responded that way to the needs of our community, you'd probably call the wardens or even the bishop and say, I don't think this Tim is cut out to be our pastor. But this is not out of character for Jesus. In fact, the Gospels are peppered with just such interactions. But in each and every case, the curtness of his response actually causes the other to behold, to grow into, to apprehend something that is actually far more precious than what they first came to Jesus desiring. But what could be far more precious than a child's life? Let's take a look. I'll invite you either to turn in your Bibles or your bulletins to the passage that was read for us from John chapter 4. Now, John prefaces this interaction with a statement. In verse 44, he says, A prophet has no honor in his hometown. He wants us to know this to help us frame this entire interaction. Because we're beginning to see that there's a, a polarized response to Jesus. Some receive him with joy and gladness, while others reject him with increasing murderous intent. Why? Because he doesn't meet expectations. If he's Messiah, that, that, that means certain things. The restoration of Israel, the removal and destruction of the Romans, his identity confirmed by on-demand signs and wonders. And those expectations weren't being met, or weren't being met in the way that they expected. Well, I would suspect that many of us have approached God at some point in our lives with an expectation and a means and agenda by which we want that expectation met. Lord, if you really loved me, really good, really desired my best, then you would do this for me. Help me get into that school. Land that job, meet that special someone, attain this goal, remove this problem, heal this ailment in this way, in this time frame, with these specific outcomes. I suspect many of us have expressed such a sentiment at least once in our lives. I know I have. This man's request typifies that. He comes to Jesus with a request. Heal my son and a means by which he wants that request met. Come down, come down, he says it a number of times. And his request to Jesus is likely based on what he's seen and heard. 
This Jesus is a healer, and like many ancient healers, it required touch, physical proximity. Come down, come down. This is the level of faith that this man has in this moment. It's based on what he's seen. This man comes believing that his greatest need is to see his child healed. Jesus doesn't see that as his greatest need. Faith is. Trust is. Now, if Jesus had gone down with him to his house, would his faith have deepened, grown? Well, you might say, of of course it would. It's a miracle. He healed his son. And any time that he doubted who this Jesus was, he could just recall this memory. I know who he was. He healed my son. But he already has that kind of faith. He already believes that Jesus has the power to heal. That's why he's there. But seeing is not believing. It's only seeing. At my previous church, I was tasked to help us reach out to the growing condo community around us. And research was going to be our first step to discover who are the people living around us. What are their questions, their needs, where they're at spiritually? What do they think of Jesus and the church? And so we developed a set of questions to help us discern that. At that time, I was leading a a pre-marriage course, and a couple from the condo who had no connection to the church was coming to this pre-marriage course. And one night, they arrived a whole lot early, and it gave me a chance to get to know them. And I thought, this is a perfect opportunity to ask my question. So I asked them if I could run them through my questionnaire, and they said, absolutely, we'd love to. And then when I got to the the questions about what they thought of church or Jesus, it uncovered a story about this young man's mother. Apparently, she had been diagnosed recently with stage four cancer. And this process had led her to go back to the church of her youth, And evidently, the church had come around her and and prayed for her. And the counselor miraculously left. So I asked him, so you believe that Jesus healed your mother of cancer? Yeah, yes, yes, I do. Has that led you to discover Jesus or to explore church? No, he said. That's my mom's thing. That's not my thing. Now, when I share that story, I know it raises probably more questions than answers. For I suspect that many of us have heard stories where someone has been suffering, been prayed for, healing, and nothing's happened. But at some level, that, that shouldn't surprise us. For yes, Jesus healed and continues to heal, but even in his life on earth, there were times where he stepped away from people who were ailing. And said in Mark chapter 1, I didn't come here for that. I came here to preach the kingdom. Why are some healed and some not? I don't know. It's a mystery. I share that story, though, to reveal that seeing is not believing. It's only seeing. This man saw, this young man had the proof that Jesus had the power to heal. He'd healed his mom. But it did not lead him to believing. Seeing is not believing. It's only seeing. Jesus discerns that this man's greatest need is is faith. 
is trust. And so responds to him in such a way as to form that faith. You see, at the end of the day, we know that this boy is healed. He's brought back from the brink of death. And if Jesus had just said yes to this man's request and gone along with him, the father's anxiety would have gone down. And with every step closer to home, his hope would have risen. Instead, Jesus, by his response, creates a situation of utter agony for this father. Not only the dismissive response at the beginning, but now he's sent two days to walk back, not knowing what the future holds for his son. But in the agony, through the agony, he brings the father to behold, to grow into, to apprehend something that was far more precious than what he first desired. And faith was required to apprehend it. You see, faith naturally must begin with what can be seen. It must be historically rooted or else it's completely irrational. Christian faith is is rational. It's rooted in what can be seen. It's rooted in history, in the, the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. But if it's simply affirming those realities, you're going to get stuck. Why? Because it's oriented toward the past. It can't yield much more than intellectual assent. Yes, that happened. Very little change can come in our lives by a believing that proceeds from seeing. Faith necessarily begins there, but it can't end there. Jesus instead is calling out of this Father a faith that believes before it sees. I mean, that's what he's saying in verse 50, right? Go, your son will live. Believe before you see. Perhaps we could consider it this way. Personal relationships are deepened, right? When we trust before we see, right? Let's say you're developing a new friendship. You discover that this this person is empathetic, they're a great listener. You're seeing all of those attributes in them and you're, you're trusting in them. You see and believe. But then something drastic happens in your life. You need the relief of talking it out with someone, getting wisdom from someone who's a, a third party, but it must be someone who can keep your confidence. So who do you talk to? Well, you think of this new friend. But you haven't seen whether or not they have the wisdom to give to you or whether they can keep your confidence. So what do you do? Well, one of your options would be to take the risk to share it with them, to trust before you see. But it isn't blind trust or wishful thinking. It's a trust rooted in what you already know of them. The result, all being well, the relationship will deepen as you trust before you see. This is how Jesus is inviting this father, invites us to deepen in faith. Based on what you already know, based on what you've already seen, go. Your son will live. Believe before you see. Now, what does that look like practically? It's when we obey the commands of Jesus, not because we believe that the commands are in our best interest, but because we trust the one who commands us. 
It's when we share our resources lavishly with others because we trust the one who holds our future, the one who's laid down everything for us. It's when we let go of our detailed plans for the future because we trust the one who calls us into an unknown future. Jesus is forming a faith that believes before it sees. There's another aspect of this man's faith that's being deepened in this interaction. It says that as he returns home, he believed Jesus at his word. But then after his servants come and meet him on the road and tell him that all is well, and it was at the very hour that Jesus had spoken, John tells us that he believed. Now, why say it again? He already believed. Or is John trying to tell us that his faith is changing, it's growing, it's forming? And I believe that's the case. He first believed Jesus at his word. He believed in the outcome. He believed what Jesus was going to do for him. In the second instant, we hear that he simply believed. One of the ways our faith must deepen and grow is to move from desiring the benefits that Jesus brings to desiring Jesus for his own sake. Maybe this would help. When you first meet someone in a romantic sense, you often first fall in love with the benefits they bring to you, right? But perhaps they look good on your arm. And so when you're with them, you you think your, your worth, your value is increased because they're with you. Or they have a job or financial security that opens up a standard of living that you've always yearned for. Or their sense of humor, their joy adds joy and vitality to your own life. At first, you love this person because of the benefits they bring to you. But if it doesn't move beyond that to love this person for their own sake, I think we'd worry about the future of that relationship, right? I mean, time and age... Take all of our looks. They don't quite look as good on our arm as they once did. Perhaps circumstance takes away the job or the financial security. The standard of living can no longer be sustained. Or declining mental health erodes some of the joy and the sense of humor. And unless you love them for their own sake, rather than what they give to you, that relationship will struggle to have a future. Because you love them for the benefit that they brought to you, not for their own sake. Faith must grow from desiring the benefits that Jesus brings us to desiring Jesus for his own sake. Now, the outcome of the boy's situation didn't change, right? But Jesus chose by his response to create an agonizing 24 hours for this father, which formed in him a deeper richer, more living faith, yielding an outcome for his son and his household that far surpassed what he originally came to Jesus desiring. You see, in verse 453, Jesus says, your son will live. Now, there are at least two different words that you can use in Greek for live. The first is bios, from which we get the word biology. That's our physical existence. And that's what the father comes to Jesus concerned about, right? His son's bios. But even if Jesus heals his son, 
He's only delaying the inevitable, right? Because for every single one of us, bios will come to an end. But that's not the word that Jesus uses. He doesn't say your son will bios. He says your son will zoe. Zoe. It's the divine life of God. The life that sustains all things. The life that was breathed into us at creation. The life that called our bios into existence. Zoe, the life that death can't extinguish. The life of a new creation. The life of an eternal future. Your son will live. Your son will zoe. Something far more precious than what he originally desired. So how? Are we to lay a hold of this life, this Zoe? Well, it's by faith. The faith that this 24 agonizing hours for this father was forming in him. You see, right at the end of the book of John, John will say this. Jesus did many other things than I've included here. But I've included the things I've included so that you might believe that Jesus is Messiah, Son of God, and that by believing you may have Zoe, life, in his name. Now, this story might provide a a window into how God might be interacting with you now or in the past or perhaps in the future when you've come to him in prayer. This week, I was reflecting on the early days of our son Joshua's life. He was diagnosed in utero with a congenital heart defect. When he was born, we were told that he would not likely live. Multiple surgeries and hospital stays later, he's now a teenage boy towering over his mom, slow to get out of bed in the morning, eating us out of house and home and stinking up the joint like most young teen boys do. But oh, how we agonized in those early years. Disappointed, angry, confused. What is God up to here? Both of us as parents, Lori and I, and Josh as well, have had during that time formed in us a faith that has led us to apprehend Zoe in ways that we would not have had we not gone through that. Did God cause those circumstances to bring about faith? No, I don't believe that's the way that God works. But God, that's just how our broken world works. Joshua's health and the complexity that that followed is just part of a broken creation. Our world is not as God intended. But God used those circumstances to bring about something in us that we would all say in our various ways is far more precious than bios. Come by faith to apprehend more fully. Zoe. So let me ask you this. If you, like this father, were standing before Jesus, what would you ask him for? What is the desire of your heart right now? Have you asked him for it? If not, why not? Some of you might not have asked because you're thinking to yourself, I couldn't ask that. That's too selfish. Not sure God would be in the business of of giving me that. But do you think that by not asking, he somehow doesn't know the desires of your heart? And you need to go and find some truly holy desires before you come and ask? 
No. No, just go to him as this father did and lay down the desires of your heart and let Jesus answer you on his own terms. And yes, you might get the love, grace, compassion, and kindness that we saw in that interaction with the woman of Samaria, and you might get the curt dismissiveness that we see in this interaction with the official from Herod's court. But know this, both reactions are born of love. Both reactions are born of a desire for your best. Both reactions are a yearning to form in you a faith that can apprehend Zoe more fully. For this story charts a trajectory through the Gospel of John. As Jesus, with a distant word, brings this young boy back from the brink of death. And then in John 11, Jesus stands at the tomb of Lazarus and speaks to death. And death is undone and Lazarus comes from the tomb. And then in John 20, Jesus rises from the dead on the first day of the week, the dawning of a new creation, breathing his life, his spirit, his zoe into his people, his creation. So go to him. Go to the source of all life. Lay your requests at his feet, whatever they are right now. And in his love, he will form in you by various means and various ways a faith that can more fully apprehend Zoe, the divine life of God, a life that death cannot extinguish, a life of the new creation, a life of an eternal future. Zoe. The life that can be ours by faith. So go to him. Amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services. 